Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of the Revolutions Within Us podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Shamar Charles. I hope you've all had an awesome month since we last spoke. It's Teacher Appreciation Week, so shout out to all our educators, teachers, professors, parents, siblings, friends, colleagues, all the amazing people who help guide us on this wonderful journey we call life. I'm an educator. Uh, I would be, we would be nothing without our students. So today I'm passing the mic along to them so they can discuss their perspectives on the world of medicine from a historical and current perspective. My two very special guests are Donna Mendia and Melani Norman, interns from the Revolution Within Us podcast and students at St. Francis College where I teach. Despite our many obstacles, we've made a lot of progress over the last 50 years or so, and we really want to center our conversations around that. So Dana, to start, who are some historical Black and Latino figures in medicine who have made an impact on you? Yeah, hello everyone. So for the Latino American person, I was doing my research and I found this person, her name is Jane Delgado. She became a psychologist, but she struggled with racial ethnic, ethnic inequalities, which I feel like many Latino American or Hispanic people have to deal with nowadays. Um, some things that actually uh, stuck out to me about her was like this, um, despite those struggles that she went through, she taught many people how to care for their health. She produced more than like a dozen related books. One of her most popular books is Salud, the Latina Guide to Total Health, which actually encouraged women to focus on self-care, which actually I really loved reading about that because I feel like women are not, especially like not just Latino women, but all women, I feel like they're not really um they don't feel they don't really know about their health especially me I've been learning so many new things about women health so I feel like that was uh, really amazing that she did that she also became the first woman president to lead the national alliance for Hispanic health which I feel like as a woman and as a Latino it's really inspiring to many Latino girls who feel like just because they're Hispanic or because they're women they can't really do anything so I feel like Jane Delgado really puts puts us like I don't want to say like on a high pedestal, but she gives us hope that we can actually become something and become somebody one day. I'm not really sure if you knew this, Dana, but Jane Delgado actually grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I've all, and I also grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Um, how does it feel to be inspired by a Latina, but specifically a Latina who has grown up in New York? That actually really inspired me a lot because I feel like, you know, in New York, there's so many things going on. And to hear that somebody like from my community and where I live, they they actually like did a lot and they became someone. It actually really inspiring to me because I also want to become someone. I also want to make a change. So I feel like if I work hard enough like her, I can actually, you know, be somebody and I can help people around my community also. When you think about someone like Jane Delgado, she's someone who she's made headway in the field of nutrition, public health healthcare, she has her PhD. What do you think about her educational journey? Is that something that you aspire to do as well? Actually, I do. I was reading how, you know, she became a psychologist first, but then she ended up, um, her path changed along the way. And I feel like that's sort of where I am right now, because right now I want to be like uh, a radiologist, but there's so many more things that I want to do, like maybe um, become a public health advisor or or be someone in the community. I feel like um, Jane Delgado kind of relates to me in a way, not just like a Hispanic, but like her path that she took. I'm sorry, could you guys hear my dog? 
<laughs> we can, but it's totally, it's totally okay. And, and we love dogs, so that is totally I'm so sorry okay. About that. <laughs> yeah, Jane Delgado, she's really inspiring to me. Although I only read a little bit about her, but I feel like I want to learn more about her. But she, I feel like she's a really an amazing woman. And then when we're thinking about the state of Black health, we're also thinking about some of the historical figures that have really made headway in the field of healthcare. Who did you pick uh, for this uh, portion of, oh, of the podcast? One, sorry, so for this one, I was actually researching a lot, and I stumbled upon the name Dr. Mae Jeminson, and when I was reading like some facts about her, I was like, she's amazing. So first, like, she is mostly known for becoming the first Black woman astronaut to go into space in 1992, which I was like, good for her, you know, good for women. But also, I was reading about her, and she uh, became a trained physician, and she was devoted and to help uh, improve the health of, a, of, like, just people, not just people in her community, but around the world. She's definitely inspirational. Actually, I want to read you both. Uh, some of her most famous quotes, because she has been quoted in some of the biggest publications. I'm talking about People, Time, Very Well Health, etc. Um, one of her most famous quotes is, never be limited by other people's imagination, never limit others because of your own limited imagination. And then she has another amazing quote uh, that reads, um, don't let anyone rob you of your imagination, your creativity, or your curiosity. It's your place in the world. It's your life. Go on and do all you can with it and make it the life you want to live. And I wanted to share those two quotes with you both, because I think as young people, sometimes you can kind of limit your goal and aspirations to what you see your family members doing or what you see in your community. And what we're trying to do is we're always trying to have young people dream a little bit further. Dana, as you know, someone who is Latina, but also someone who is a, a woman and a young person and someone who is always trying to strive to better their community, what character attributes do you think young people need to be successful in their like college career and just successful human beings in general? Mm, so I don't want to say like for everyone, but you know, some things that I feel like sometimes we need a role model and it, it could be anyone. I feel like for me, um, I don't have a specific role model, but I've met people along the way, including you with Dr. Charles, who have inspired me to like, you know, keep going on that it doesn't just end there. I feel like young people, sometimes right now, it could be like family or friends. They say they have a goal, but then those friends say, no, you're not going to, you're not going to make it or it's not worth it. Or like if somebody wants to be a doctor, they say people tell them no, because that takes too long. But I feel like um, young people need to start believing in themselves more probably. They need to start feeling like, oh, I can do it. And also look up to these role models, like Dr. Mae Jemison and Jane Delgado, these are specifically like two women, African-American and Latina women, who they never gave up. They kept on going. And I feel like that's what many young people need now. They need the motivation to keep moving on. And, and that doesn't end there. And that there's not just only one path, that there are many paths that they could take along the way. 
Thank you so much, Dana. I really yeah. appreciate that. And I think people are going to be really inspired. We'll get back to you. and We'll talk more specifically about your thoughts about Latino and Black health in general. But I want to kick this over okay. to Melani. Uh, and I want to just ask you, um, when you were thinking about historical figures, um, who did you stumble across? Who inspired you? And what did you think about their journey? So the first person who I stumbled across was Dr. Helen Rodriguez. Um, she was born in Puerto Rico and then she moved to New York and she accomplished a lot of things. Um, she founded the first center for newborn children in Puerto Rico. And she was also a director of pediatrics at Lincoln Hospital, which is right here in the Bronx, not too far from me actually. Um, so I thought that that was really amazing. Also, because in the future, I do want to be in the pediatric field of study. So I very much admire that about her. And um, she also was a very major um, women and children's activist. Um, she brought a lot of attention to like the devastations of AIDS and HIV in women. And also about... Um, you know, just bringing more awareness to public health services for women and children, especially in minority and lower income environments. So, which is something I feel like we all can relate to because we also do live in these environments and we see that the effects that it has on everybody involved, not just women and children, but women and children especially go through a lot when it comes to the healthcare system. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think when you see people who look like you in these positions, it kind of gives you hope. It inspires you like, I could do that too. In fact, um, I'm not sure if either of you know this, but Dr. Helen Rodriguez was the first Latina to ever be elected president of the American Public Health Association. Um, and this was in 1993. So if you think about how long the American Public Health Association has been, it's been around for like 100 years. It wasn't up until 1993 that um, we had our first Latina elected and not just having, you know, someone who is um, of Hispanic descent being elected, but the fact that she was a Latina woman makes that even, you know, more impactful. Um, when you both, I noticed that both of you have picked um, women in medicine <laughs> as uh, your <laughs> historical figures. Uh, and I don't think that, you know, that goes beyond me, right? That doesn't go beyond anybody's head. Um, how important is it for you to find role models um, that are women? And is that something that you actively seek? I feel like it's definitely important because when we, when we learn about activists and, and, you know, pioneers in a lot of fields, most of them are men. So I did, I did want to push the factor of trying to find a woman in that field because women have contributed to a lot of amazing things in the world. And I feel like, you know, not to bring, not to bring this com conversation up, but you know, we do get the shorter end of the stick when it comes to a lot of things, especially in the field of just being like working and jobs period. Um, mm -hmm. Women sometimes do fall short, no matter how amazing, no matter the accolades that they have. And I feel like it's really important for you know, women and girls to have those figures to look up to and to know about. Um, I 100% agree with Milani. 
it's <laughs> yeah no for sure no I, it, it's interesting because um in 1960s think about 1960s think about how conservative the world was at that point uh, dr helen rodriguez she completed her uh, i believe it was her medical degree with highest honors and i believe she was pregnant or had her fourth child during wow. Yeah, during that time, right? So when you talk about getting the short end of the stick, when you talk about the context surrounding a woman and her life and some of the things that she has to go through, um, I think that you're kind of hitting the nail on the head, right? Like these are some of the kind of things that women in medicine and not just in, me in medicine, but in professional life have to have to think about as they move forward. Milani, I also asked you to, you know, look up someone who was uh, African-American, who has made mm -hmm. uh, many strides and headway in healthcare. And who did you choose for that? I chose Dr. Charles Drew. Um, so basically, he was interested in the field of like, um, blood transfusions and blood storage. And he was one of the first people to start a blood bank um, in Britain during World War II. And he also um, worked with the American Red Cross to establish blood banks, which helped save um, thousands of people during that time. But what I found to be very inspiring about him is that um, the American Red Cross wanted to segregate the storage of African-American blood and, you know, um, white people's blood and he was not going for that at all so he withdrew his position from the Red Cross just for the segregation of that and I feel like that's very inspiring because you know during that time segregation was very much still alive and I feel like you know we're all people at the end of the day we're all trying to live we're all trying to survive and I don't feel like that should be um you know a factor when it comes to research or you know being segregated at least you know different things like getting statistics and stuff that's different but I feel like it was inspiring that he did not um uphold that end of what American Red Cross was trying to do so he withdrew his position for that. I think that whenever you're trying to do something great you also mm -hmm. have to think about the sacrifices you have to make. Think yeah. about how incredibly difficult it must have been for a Black man, you know, in the mid and early 1900s to have to give up a very prominent position that he had probably spent his entire life working towards. Absolutely. Right? To uphold his own uh, moral value. I think that it is very difficult. I think it's aspirational. I want you yeah. both to think about how in your life, you may have to give something up to get something else, right? Mm -hmm. And how that thing that you get may not be uh, monetary in nature, right? Um, but it'll still be invaluable none, nonetheless. So I thank you both for just kind of highlighting our audience um, on all of the amazing achievements of Black and Latino people in health and the many more achievements that are to come. And maybe one day we'll be having a conversation and you two will be the people that people bring up <laughs> um, as historical figures who have done amazing things. My final question for both of you, and I'll start with Dana and then I'll go to Melani next, is in your communities, what does Black and Latino health look like? 
Like, what are some of the issues that you see on a day-to-day basis that are impacting uh, Latino health, that are impacting Black health, uh, specifically focus on some of the stumbling blocks and maybe um, one solution as to how we can uh, get past those obstacles? Um, yeah, so I remember for one of my classes, I actually did like research on one of these things. And something that I found was that in many hospitals or in clinics, there's not a lot of doctors or physicians or nurses that are that are Black and Latino. And I feel like sometimes, um, like me personally speaking, as a Hispanic, if I am going to a hospital or something, I usually feel more comfortable when it's somebody that is like me, I want to say, because I feel like, you know, we can relate to each other or we can have like a nice conversation or I won't feel judged. And I remember researching and I actually found that sometimes Black and Latino people, they feel more comfortable when they're being seen by somebody that's like them, a Black and Latino person. And I feel like I feel like now maybe we're starting to see starting to see that a little bit, but it's not at the point where I go into like a hospital or when I go to my doctor's appointment, I don't really see a lot of like black and Latino people. I see mostly white people, you know, if that's mm-hmm. how, you know, I don't want to sound rude, but that's um how I would say it. So I feel like maybe something that we could do is like not push, but um show black and Latino people that, you know, there's a spot for them there that is not just limited to a specific amount of people that they can also get to that spot that they want to get to. It just, you know, they shouldn't feel, um, what's that word like not downgraded but they, sh- they shouldn't feel discouraged by just seeing that specific group in a specific place if you I don't know if you know what I mean yeah no I totally get what you yeah. mean um because I-, I could imagine you go in you see a provider uh that doesn't look like you and immediately you kind of feel judged or maybe you even feel like they might not understand you as well, right? Or sometimes you might go in and you might be with your family and like, let's say there's like a language barrier, right? Mm -hmm. And you're feeling like, oh, this provider, um, you know, you're kind of concerned, like, you know, like, will they be able to explain the information in a way that I can understand, you know, like those kind of issues that come up. But when you have a provider that looks like you and sometimes even a provider who's the same ethnicity as you, you don't have those questions. So your level of nervousness and judgment is immediately at baseline, right? Absolutely, because you're not thinking about those things. Now you're just focused on getting the care that you need. So I totally feel you on that. And I think that there are a lot of people who probably resonate with you about how their comfort level increases when they have a provider that looks like them. But the provider shortage in general is a problem. It's an even bigger, more compound problem where we're thinking about providers of color. I think that that's an even bigger issue. But to your point, I do think it's getting a little bit better, but we still have a long way to go. Milani, what are some of the obstacles or issues that you see um, in our communities, specifically Black and Latino communities? Some issues that I see, so I also had to do research actually for my dissertation, and I found that a lot of Black and Latina women um, go through more health issues, more complications during birth, um, more deaths from birth. Our babies suffer more sicknesses and more problems while in hospitals and clinics and places like that I also feel like it has to do with this lack of 
urgency when it comes to Black and Latino women. And I feel like, you know, the healthcare system, they like to say, you know, they're inclusive and they accept people of all backgrounds. But actually, I feel like you find that there's still very much um, racism in the healthcare system. I, ha- I have a lot of, um, you know, family and things like that in the healthcare system. I have a godmother who is an RN and she said that it's very much still, you know, um, people can be, women can be catty, doctors and nurses, there's still a bit of, you know, racism going on. And I feel like that's a major, major problem. And we should not have to worry about things like that when we're just trying to be healthy and strong and making sure that everything is okay concerning our health. Yeah, you know what? This kind of reminds me of a conversation that we've had about some of the historical pain myths that exist, in, the, especially in the United States, especially about mm-hmm. how Black and Latina women experience pain differently than women of other races, namely white women. Um, yeah. It's something that we really have to think about because if you don't perceive that other people are having pain, then you're undertreating their pain, which means that you're likely aggravating their pain, right? And all the symptoms that are causing their pain, all of their the health illnesses that they have. Um, and as a result, when people finally, you know, have to come to grips with the reality that their pain is not going to be treated, they start to normalize that pain. They start to live right. with that pain. I can't tell you how many patients I see that I'm like, how long has this been bothering you for? And Black and Latina women routinely will tell me, oh, I've been dealing with this for four or five, six months. I'm like, that is not quote unquote normal, right? right? Like that is not something that you should be experiencing or people are just waiting long time in the waiting room of an emergency room. They're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And they realize that like, oh, if I quote unquote turn up or if I raise my voice or if I you know, have any semblance of urgency or aggression, you know, that is actually something that is going to be seen as negative. And so they don't right. want to speak up for themselves because they feel like they're going to get even more substandard care than the substandard care that they're already receiving. So these are big issues that definitely exist. I'm sure your godmother can speak even more so to it as someone who has clinical experience on the ground, but it's definitely an issue that has been around for as long as time. Um, and continues to remain in our society. So you both have talked about big issues, about some of the myths that exist, some of the prejudice and the stereotypes that exist that serve as barriers to Black and Latino health. And then you've talked about kind of this, another big physical issue, which is like, there's not enough of us in the field to help buoy those problems. What are some solutions in your opinion that you can kind of think of on the spot Uh, what are some solutions that can help ameliorate these problems? For me, I feel like, for one, I feel like, like Dana said, I feel like Black and Latina women should be more open to being in the medical field. I myself also want to be a nurse one day. And I feel, because like she said, we need to see more of us. We need to have more representation for us. We need to have people who, advocate for us more and I feel like a lot of people do get discouraged because it's definitely not an easy field to be in it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of studying it takes a lot of you know determination 
but we all can do it and we can do it whatever you put your mind to you can absolutely do it so I definitely agree with Dana on that aspect um I also just feel like it comes down to like people's morality and people's prejudice and things like that like I just feel like it's so unnecessary and even if jobs give like morality training and things like that I feel like it just still comes down to who you are as a person and I feel like there's a lot of people who also go into healthcare and they don't like people Mm. so I feel like if you're a person who doesn't like people you shouldn't just go into it for the money yes the money is good but if you don't care about people I feel like you're doing them a disservice so what I'm hearing is that you're thinking that you know, there should probably be some healthcare screens, right? With respect to just applicants in general, right? Yeah. You want to make sure that you're getting people who truly care about patients mm-hmm. and not people who care about all the other stuff like money, right? <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. And 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 I would I would agree with that. I do think that having a high bar is really important. I don't think you want the bar to be so high that it's exclusionary. Right. But I don't think that you want it to be so low that you have a lot of people who are sort of so slipping through the cracks and doing a very important job at a substandard level. So I think I would definitely agree with that. Dana, what do you think? What do you think about solutions and um, some of the things that we can do to help ameliorate some of the obstacles that we talked about? Um, I was actually thinking like the same as Melani, like she stole my words. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, but I, I agree with her, too, because I feel like it, it depends on, like, who you are, honestly. Like, like I can have a belief, but then it can also be the people who are, like, are who are surrounding me. Like, I feel like you also need to have a good support system. And I feel like we don't really have that a lot, especially for Black and Latino, not just women, but, you know, um the community. I feel like we don't really have a strong support system for us because... We say we want to be something, but there's not somebody who's there with us pushing us, telling, yeah, we can do it. Yeah, keep on going. And I feel like that's what's missing, a good support system in school, not in schools and like jobs or just around. Like when we're walking around, maybe we can see like uh, a billboard that, you know, promotes that stuff or advocates for us saying like, you know, not to give up, that we can do it. That there's a, Like I said, like there's a spot for us. It's not just limited to a specific amount of people. So I feel like a support system is really is really needed and it's really important for us. Do you think that building up that support system is a responsibility of society or do you think it's the responsibility of the individuals themselves? I feel like it's, I, I want to say maybe both because I feel like society also plays a big role. Um, it's like Melanie mentioned about like racism, for example, like that that's still going on and it's going on everywhere. And I feel like sometimes society makes it seem like, oh, because you're a black person, you can't be a doctor or because you're a Latino person, you can't be a nurse. And I feel like, um, I don't, I don't really know how to, I don't know how to word it properly, but I feel like society plays a big role, especially with what we see on like social media, on TikTok or Instagram, stuff like that. So you're saying that like more, like more physical representation, just seeing more of us some way, somehow kind of shapes how we see ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. And yeah. I, I would probably tend to agree with you. Um, I think one of the big parts of my job isn't even really just teaching you all. I think a big part of my job is just being there. <laughs> right? Like, who's going to write those letters of recommendation? Who's going to do the teaching? Um, who's going to have uh, behavior that young people want to actually model? I think that all of those points are really important. And most importantly, you can do all those things for free, <laughs> right? Like, not, none of the solutions that you talked about were like changing healthcare structures or providing more uh, health insurance and healthcare access. We would all agree that all of those things are really important, but all of those things are also really expensive. So it just goes to show you that we're not maybe doing all of the free things that we can do to help solve some of the issues in our community. So uh, I thank you both for your candor and for participating today. Uh, it's so good to hear the voice of young people. There are very few podcasts out there that um, are putting the voices of young people on full display, but I'm so happy to have you guys here with me participating uh, and sharing your very important voice. So a very important conversation. So thank you both so much. Thank you for having Thank us. you for having <laughs> If you want to learn more about the revolutions within us, follow us on Instagram at the revolutions within us. Thank you so much for listening and participating. Thank you so much to Donna and Melani for their amazing perspective. I can't wait to speak with you next month. See you then. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.